We're going to start a new um, book of the Bible today. We're going to be going through 1 Samuel. And it's important to set a few ground rules so that people don't hear what I am not saying. Rule number one is this. You can't look at somebody's life because if they're going through a difficult time and say that's because they're doing something contrary to God. Let me explain. We live in a fallen world and bad things happen to very good people. Does everyone understand that? As we go through Samuel, there will be some things that are said as, and as a result of their, their actions of the people involved in the uh, recorded in Samuel, you can point to God and say God is doing something. But you can't always say that, particularly when you don't know the circumstances. And unfortunately, what John and Rose have had to share today is a classic example of just how bad this world can be. And just how fragile life actually is for all of us. I, I, I was travelling along Creswell Road yesterday, five minutes after Kay had left for, to go to work, and there was a major accident 20, 30 yards outside Bev's house. Where do you think my mind went? Straight to the fact that, hang on a minute, you're turning me around, Mr. Policeman, but is that my wife in that car up there? It wasn't, obviously, but it was somebody's loved ones. And, and you know, we, we can't as people say, that's because of God. This world was created perfect, and it's because it's fallen that really... The world is suffering so much. Sometimes, because you can say this, sometimes when our actions are contrary to the word of God and contrary to your level, my level of understanding, then actually, yes, God disciplines us. And he does it for our own benefit. And we, we discipline our own children for their benefit. God is still the same as the Old Testament, but the Old Testament is written so that we can look at it and say we can take some principles. And we're going to look at some principles today. And sometimes as we journey through this book, it'll hurt. But God is a God who loves us. I always want to come back to that word. He loves us so much. And he demonstrated his, his love so much. And we've just celebrated that fact. I thought what Catherine and the girls did was a lovely way of taking communion. A lovely way of taking communion. And it's not just doing a tick list. Actually, yes, concentrate on the cross. Concentrate on what he gave up. So, to set the scene of Samuel, I'll need to fill a few details in. But we'll look at the first scripture from Judges. And um, I remember when Matt did the book of Ruth, this was his opening passage. And do you know what? It's uh, so relevant today. Look, in those days Israel had no king and that key verse, everyone did as they saw fit. That's our world today. When we take God out of the equation, then what we actually do is we do, well, well uh, that's what makes me happy, so I'll do whatever makes me happy. Well, the nation was falling apart. It had, it had entered the land that God had given it and that God had given a covenant at Mount Sinai and he said to them, if you do this, 
then I'm able to work and bless and uh, protect and establish my, um, my principles so that the rest of the world can be drawn to me. Of course, history records Israel didn't do what he asked them to do. They repeatedly went their own way over a period of about 300 years. And as the cycle repeated, it was this. Okay, we'll do life God's way, there is blessing. The crops came in due season, there was peace amongst all the neighbours. And then, of course, they stopped doing life God's way, and then discipline started. And then they turned back to God, that's the repentance, and then he was able to come back into the situation. And if you read the book of Judges then you'll see that cycle repeated over and over and over again. And I, you know, I can see society today. We are so desperate for a move of God to bring this country back. And I'm not going to list a load of sins that the country do. We all know them. And you know what? I turn the news on sometimes and I think, where did they dream that one up from? And they just keep adding and adding and adding. And it is simply because everyone sees... And does what they think will is work. We forget God. Well, of course, you're here today, so you haven't forgotten God. So, in some way, I'm preaching to the converted. You get that, don't you? But, you know, it goes on the internet. Maybe someone who's not converted might hear it. But there are lessons and there are warnings for us. Why do we insist on getting it wrong and then allowing, well, almost forcing God to bring us back on track? Do you know what? I say this. Make Good choices. Just make good choices. Life works so much better. It does not guarantee you never have any troubles. But somewhere amongst all that trouble, you still know you've got some peace. And we'll find that in a moment. So, from a date point of view, roughly, let's say 1100 BC. We're not going to argue over it too much. Say 1100 BC... And that's the state of his nation. Everyone doing as they see fit. So what does God do when he wants to bring a country back to himself? What would he do today to bring England, United Kingdom, the world, back to himself? It always begins the same way. Watch what happens. Can we put the scripture up for me, please? There was a certain man, brackets woman. That's how he brings people to himself. It always begins with that statement. You see, if we looked at the cross, which we've just taken communion, it began with a certain man. Actually, you can even trace it better than that. It begins with a baby. That is God's way of reconciling history to himself. It was in the Old Testament and it is in our lifetimes today. Let me say this quite categorically. This country will never return to God unless it sees something to return to. What a, what a responsibility we suddenly inherit. Maybe you are that certain man that God is going to raise up, brackets woman, to bring this nation back. Kay and I often talk about this country needing a Billy Graham. It desperately needs someone of that ilk, someone of that anointing. 
And maybe there's one in this room. Maybe he's actually in a pram at the back. He said hallelujah this morning. We've got it on. We, we know he did. He started. Or maybe it's one of the kids next door with Kenny and whoever's helping him. It's going to begin with someone. It always begins the same. This wording is so important, verse 1, because it's the exact Hebrew of Samson's parents' introduction. If you compare passage for passage, when Samson, who was one of the judges, was raised up, it is exactly the same wording as that. And let me tell you the wording. I'm glad, I'm glad Matt is back, because if I get stuck on a word, we'll get him to say it. No laughing. We're in church. There was a certain man from Matt. Him, see, look. Right. The purpose of this is, 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 is clear, look. God knows your address. Ever thought of that? God knows you so well that he knows exactly where you live. There's a certain man from Ramathaean, a Zuphanite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jerome, the son of Eliu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zufa, and Ephraimite. I'm glad that's out the way. Yeah, thank you. I'll take a bow. Okay. You could say this. There's a certain man in clown, mobile phone number such and such, got your address, whatever, whatever. That's our God. He doesn't deal in, in huge numbers. He deals in always individuals. Think about that. You know, we can talk, we can talk in term, terms of numbers and nations and all that. But our God knows people. He knows you intimately. There's no, you know, we've heard it before when, when I went through the Gospel of Luke. He counts the hairs on your head. He even knows when they drop out. That's how close he is. So when we have a prayer request, even a, a dreadful situation like that, uh, we are talking to God. We're actually bringing that request to God. Not just the ceiling. It can sometimes feel like that when we're praying. But we've got to get this through. That our God knows. And he knows Joe. He knows Joe. He knows the agony that the family and the parents are going through. And he loves them. Okay. This man, I mean, he's not very bright, is he? Look, he's gone wrong straight away. He had two wives. Now, now the guys are shaking their head. Why would you? You get the best, forget the rest. He had two wives. God never endorsed that situation. Polygamy never works. You can't point to any situation in the Bible... It was just man's way of getting round an issue, a problem. He had two wives. That's a recipe for disaster. When I say make good choices, guys, no. One, one wife. <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> you... <laughs> All right, well, you spotted that, and then I backpedaled and dug a hole for myself. Okay, he had two wives at the same time, for clarity. One was called Hannah, and the other was called 
Penny Nana. Penny Nana. Anyway, Penny Anna had children. <laughs> it's hard enough, you know, when I go in the Old Testament. But Hannah had none. Right. Bad situation. The likelihood is this, look. It tells us something about the guy. In that culture, he'd probably married Hannah first. Her name means grace. He probably married her and... One of the mistakes that they thought was that if you couldn't have children, then you were cursed of God. It was seen as a blight on you. And clearly, and it happened several times in the Old Testament, the guy gets another woman to bear him children. Such was the need for children in that society, as you grew older, you wanted the kids to look after you. you they might work on the land and and um, provide for you and care for you in, as you grew older. I've got three. None of them are providing for me. And I can't see them. Anyway, a different story in case. <laughs> it is actually, yes. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, but in that culture, that's what, that's what it was all about. But the reality was, to be childless in the Old Testament, you were often seen to be cursed of God. What a misunderstanding. What, what a, a, a bad understanding of, of this God of love that I, that I know but nonetheless that's the situation that we find the introduction the writer of this book is probably Samuel himself for the first 20, uh, 25 chapters and thereafter it's probably Nathan the prophet but it doesn't really matter he's recording the history and setting the scene two wives one can have children one can't Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophi and Phoenix, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. It says a lot about our man Elkanah, in that actually while all the nation is doing their own thing, he's still worshipping God. And that, that's a, such a hard thing to do. Sometimes we feel so isolated. You know, you gather here on a Sunday... And there's so many other things happening out on a Sunday. But actually, don't give up. Keep coming. Keep worshipping God. And year after year, this happened. The law said this. That three times a year, the man was supposed to go to the tabernacle and worship God and offer sacrifices. And there were different types of, of um, seasons to do it. But basically, they were celebrating the nation coming out of Egypt, they were celebrating the first harvest, and then they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles. It will be one of those feasts that they're recording. He takes his wives with him, both of them at the same time, for clarity. And whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and to her sons, and to the daughters. Lots of children, lots of reasons to celebrate. What's what happens next? Let's move it on. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. What a remarkable statement. Childbirth, childbirth is a gift from God. There it is. Every time a woman gives birth, it is because God has ordained that child to live. 
do we do we we get that? They understand, they understood that actually, if there was no problem, sorry, if there was a problem with the childbirth, it was because of God. What they didn't understand was actually it wasn't because He was cursing her. It gets a bit delicate now. Hannah knows that she is the one that's unable to have children. Her husband is having children with the other wife, and so it's down to Hannah. What does the guy do? Give her two lots of meat. Is that the best you've got? Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival now kept provoking her in order to irritate her. There's something going off in in the family dynamic. Well, there's bound to be. That's why I'm saying don't have two at the same time. It's going to be a recipe for bad bad things. You can imagine what's going off behind the scenes. Look at all these children I've got. Why haven't you got any children? Look at this, I'm pregnant again. Can't you have children? And slowly, it's eating away at Hannah. All the time, chipping away at her, melting her down, breaking her. Year after year, it goes on and on and on and on. Do you think Hannah ever? Do you think Hannah ever prayed? She's bound to have prayed, isn't she? You don't go through a situation like that without actually praying. But God didn't answer a prayer. He let it happen. There's no explanation. You can't, you can't, I can't stand here and tell you why, why it happens that way. Sometimes we pray and the Lord just does not answer the prayer. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and would not eat. It's supposed to be a party, a festival, a celebration and her heart is breaking. When I studied the passage... You've got to feel empathy with her. You've got to wonder what on earth is going on. Is God really not answering her prayers? The passage began with, there was a certain man. Well, this certain man needs to have a certain child. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to Hannah, why are you weeping? He's not very bright, is he? They must have had the conversations... Why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? No. What a, what a silly statement. Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? You've got me. Why do you want children? Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, that's where the tabernacle was, was situated at this time, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. It would appear that the tabernacle has been sited at Shiloh and basically have made it a more permanent structure. There is still the priesthood operating. Eli is the priest. We will find he's not a very good one. We will find in chapter 2 that his sons are abusing their position. They're called wicked priests. Why is God allowing them to continue? The nation is falling apart and somewhere is a lady also falling apart with her heart crying.
crying out to God. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. Now then, perhaps finally God has got Hannah to the situation he needed to be in. Too often, sometimes, our prayers are just rattled off. Perhaps, and I'm going to suggest this, that what he needs Hannah to do is something that no mother would want to do. And he can't answer her prayer until he gets her to this point in time. As I study this, I was remembering on two occasions when I have been in that situation. The first situation was when I was ill. And I had this illness for two years and I was very poorly. And then one day, I reached this conclusion. Do you know what? I'm very poorly, but I'm also very loved by God. And I know God can heal me just like that. Did he heal me just like that? Not for quite a while. But I had peace. I had reached the point where I could come to church, I could praise God, I could worship God, knowing that in spite of how bad I was feeling, and in spite of all my requests and the, and the requests of all my brothers and sisters in church, that actually, if God wanted me to be better, he'd just make me better. And somewhere I found that peace. One day, I go to church, I don't even get prayed for, and I get healed. Miraculously, I felt the pain leave my body for the first time in two years, and it, I, when I told Kay, it, the pain drained out of my, my fingers. And I, and I swear to you, look, with everything that I am, before God, that whatever I had that day, had to leave. Because God Almighty said, today I'm healing Alan. And they're easy, aren't they? See, I can give that testimony. I could go around the world on a testimony like that. I've actually got it written down by the doctors. But what about the time when my wife fell in love with another guy and I prayed and I fasted and I bound the devil and I did all the things that the books told me to do and she still ran off with him. And I had no peace. And I didn't think God really loved me as much as I thought he maybe did before. And then one day, just one day, I reached a conclusion. I thought, stop being a plonker. Can you say plonker in church? I don't know. No. Anyway, stop being that person. Do you know what, Al? Get out your room, go on the hill of the farm and worship God. And I went on the hill of the farm and I got on my knees and I raised my hands to God and I praised him despite the fact that my wife loved another man. And when I got off the floor, I had... His peace again. And he never answered that prayer how I wanted that prayer to be answered. But I tell you something, he did something inside of me. And I think that's what's happening here. Somehow there's a breakthrough happening. She's prayed before, definitely, but there's something different now. Now she's pouring her heart out to God, and now this, whatever that answer from prayer is going to be, yay or nay, She'll accept it. She'll accept it. And in prayer, I've discovered this. There are prayers that God can answer, 
And there are prayers where his answer can't move or doesn't seem to move until the purposes cross over. In other words, my purpose and his purpose have to come into alignment. It's not rocket science, and you wouldn't expect it any other way if you think about it, that his purposes, he is sovereign. When my purpose and his purpose align, God moves. God moves. And it's me that has to be moved to change and align it. So this is the prayer that she's saying. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty. That word Lord Almighty is the first time it appears in the Bible. What then does it mean? What and who did John just pray to a few minutes ago? Well, it means this. Lord Almighty is sovereign over everything. And we can, we can, oh yeah, I understand that. Actually no, just take a step back. Just take a step back and just concentrate and understand what we're saying. He is everything. There is nothing that he cannot do. If Joe is brain damaged, if Joe has multiple whatever, if Lord Almighty decides he will walk and never suffer, then do you know what? To him, he will just do that. That is who we are praying to. Now, I can't say that's what's going to happen. But I can pray that's what's going to happen. And I can have no doubt whatsoever that if God says that, that happens. I know it experientially because I've experienced it. And I know this. God loves him. God understands the pain that he's going through. And the, what the family is going through. And sometimes all you can do is pray, your will be done. I can't get the words out, God, but this much I do know, your will be done. And if God decides that's what's going to happen, there is nothing that God cannot do. That is that word, Lord Almighty. That is who we have the privilege of coming before and praying. We pray to the Lord Almighty. There is no situation in history or in life that he cannot change or overrule. We've got to get that. So she's praying. And this is an Old Testament. If you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant. We don't have a forgetful God. She's not saying that you don't remember who I am. But give her a son. Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. It's called a Nazarene vow. Samson's parents were the same. They wanted a child Manoah actually prays this prayer. He's told by the angel of the Lord that actually he's going to be a Nazarene. And they, they couldn't drink. They couldn't touch dead bodies. They couldn't cut their hair. It's part of what it was. Often, to have a Nazarene vow dedicated to God, it was for a period of time. But there are a few, probably three in the Bible, where actually it was for a lifetime of dedication. Do you know when you have children... You don't have them. You just look after them for a while. They're not yours anyway. They come from him and they are his. And Hannah's got that. If you give me a son, it's coming from you, I'll give him back to you. I've got three grown-up versions of it. And do you know what? They're not mine anymore. Two of them are parents themselves. 
you just look after you're just a guardian for a season as she kept on praying to the Lord Eli observed her mouth and Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving but her, her voice was not heard and Eli thought she was drunk well that tells you a lot about what the society is like in that day everyone doing what they see fit we know in chapter 2 when we discover Eli's sons that they are drinking and womanising and all Eli is doing is seeing someone and thinking fancy coming to the temple of God drunk not very observant on his behalf seeing this woman breaking her heart of course that's the last thing she is she needed ministry not condemnation and he said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Straightforward. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Ever poured out your soul to the Lord? Some of you will have done. Something breaks inside. When you've poured it out to the Lord, the mystery is this, look. Sometimes the prayer is answered the way you want it. Sometimes it's not answered the way we want it. But he's still Lord Almighty. He still loves you. Still wants what's best. And there is peace. Verse 16, do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. There is something about prayer. There are occasions, more occasions, when prayer should be audible. There is something beautiful about praying as a group of people. A group of like-minded family, if you like. That should be the norm. But know this, sometimes you just pray in your heart. And he knows exactly what you're saying. Man might not know what you're saying. If I'm uh, on a prayer meeting or praying with someone, I can say amen to their prayer. But you know what? Sometimes your heart is just breaking. Well, you're not talking to man anyway. You're talking to him. And he knows exactly what's going off. And there she is. The priest doesn't know, but God knows. So Eli answered, good recovery, Go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you've asked of him. He doesn't know whether he will or not, but he's, he's, he could say Eli saying amen to a prayer. May he grant you what you're pouring out your heart to. She said, may your servant find favour in your eyes. And then she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. What a remarkable turnaround. She's gone from pouring out her heart, weeping before God, to now getting up and celebrating. Something has changed inside. This weeping and this pouring out, she knows she's connected with the Lord Almighty. Prayer is such a privilege for every one of his children. We can come before God. Do you know when you pour out your heart that actually, have you felt it? I've felt it. I've had it a few times where I just know Heaven has heard what I said. They love me. I like that. I finally got it on the right page so God can say, come on Al, I've been waiting for two years to heal you. 
You finally got up. I'll you know, catch up. Or actually, Al, that prayer I can't answer. Not the way you want, but I can still work in it, Al. I can still turn things so that actually you can still worship me in the pain. You can still love me even more by going through something than actually through you not going something. And I'll hear this. One day you'll understand. One day you'll see the other side of that tapestry and you'll see what I was doing all the time. And then on that day you'll not wonder anymore. Did I pray? Was I working? Do I love you? One day. So her face is no longer downcast. And early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord. I wonder what that looked like. Did the other wife say, where's the children? Oh, there's something different with Hannah today. How come she's raising her hands in worship and praising God like she never has before? What's changed? Something has changed in Hannah and she's not yet pregnant. She's going to be, but she's not yet pregnant and she's worshipping God. The breakthrough. So early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord and then they went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah and the Lord remembered her. Did he just get up one day and go, oh, forgot about that answer prayer? Of course not. doesn't mean that. Now, Hannah, now is the time when I'm going to answer your prayer. Trust me in the time. I needed a certain man to bring this nation back to myself. And now I can move. Now, Anna, when I answer this prayer, you're going to give me your son. I need your son. You're going to give me him back. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel. It means name of God. She's named him even after the God who answers prayer. Saying, because I asked the Lord for him. When her husband Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfil his vow, Hannah did not go. I wonder what that felt like. Now she's got a child. She could have gone and worshipped God. Perhaps what she's discovering here is this. Do you know what? It's good to go to Shiloh and worship God, but I can worship God in my heart. Right where I am. You and I have that privilege. It's great to come to church, but if this is the only time in the week you are worshipping God, you've missed the plot. You worship him when you get home, you worship him tomorrow, talk to him, pray to him, live your life for him. Can you do that? This is the God who knows your address, your mobile phone number, the hairs on your head, the one who hears all your prayers. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, which is about three years in their society, after he's weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Wow. Desperately waited for this child, and she's going to honour honor her vow. She's going to return him back to the very Lord who gave him. So, Elkanah... Well, you do, don't you, when your wife says this? Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. Stay here until you have weaned him, only may the Lord make good his word. And so the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. 
We're nearly through chapter one. Three-year-old three child. Watch what she does next. Let's put the last one up. After his wee, he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and he brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. She's took him there now. How heavy her heart must be, knowing that this is a one-way trip. I'm going to take my three-year-old son a 16-mile journey and I'm going to leave him with a guy who thought I was a drunk. But she's going to do it. She has to do it. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli and she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I'm the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord and that must be nearly four years ago. Four years. If he's three and he's weaned and nine months to be pregnant, you can say it's near enough four years. Do you think Eli remembered her? I don't know. I prayed for this child. Did she put her hand on his head? And the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. And this is exactly the same phrase in the Hebrew as she did in verse 17. She asked the Lord for a child and she's given the Lord the child back. So now I give to him, to the Lord, what he's given to me, basically. For his whole life and she will be given over to the Lord. And then Eli, that's Eli, worship God. Eli, who sees the supernatural, who sees the state of the nation knows God's at work. Knows that God is still in the business of answering prayers. Even Eli's prayers, actually. Even Anna's prayers. That's the end of chapter 1. As we journey through Samuel, you see all sorts of strange things happening. You see all sorts of applications today. If I was to apply that then, for us, some 3,000 years later, what lessons can we learn? Anything? Nothing? Trust in God is one of them. Is that it? Eight hours of study and that's what you've got, just trusting God? Is that a cop-out? Do you want me to go over it again? Make the right choices. Come on, Catherine, give some... You, you're up. Yeah. Keep praying. Thank you, Martin. Keep praying. Fantastic, Bev. Hard, though, isn't it? Absolutely rock-solid hard, but still the right thing to do. Isn't this Christian life tough? You know what someone once said to me? You're a Christian because it's a cop-out. I looked him in the face and thought, what planet are you on? Really? You think this is easy? You haven't got a clue, mate. This is the hardest thing you'll ever do. Be a Christian. Pray when it hurts. Yeah. Pray when you don't have any answers. Absolutely. One day you will. Let's worship God.